0: Welcome everyone to the Blue Collar Nation podcast, the podcast devoted to making the lives of blue collar service business owners better. I am here tonight with my business partner, Larry Wilburton, and we have a very special guest tonight. Darren Priest. how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Okay. And for those who don't know, Darren... Uh, is a longtime restoration contractor, much like Larry and I, and he has been our mentor. I don't think we'd be sitting here having this podcast tonight if it wasn't for Darren. Uh, Larry, how are you doing? I am great. I'm happy to have Darren on the phone today. He's helped us with so many
1: things over the years, and many of our tricks and trades that we were sporting, we learned from him, so he is the uh, source. If things go really wrong for him, you can we point the finger at him he's the godfather
0: um quick story about we met darren at, uh at a, a joe polish event which is an industry marketing event and larry and i were really new in the business and we really wanted to get into water damage restoration we needed to to learn how so you know we met darren at the bar and said hey you know can we come see you guys and, and, you know, just kind of learn a little bit. And Darren was very kind and said, yeah. So Larry and I literally loaded up in my truck in, um, Southern California a month we, later, we drove to Idaho in the middle of winter. Uh, what'd that take? Like 14 hours. <laughs> yeah, it was
1: definitely like three or four hours past your house. It was a long ride and it was freezing cold, a lot of yeah. snow.
0: So, uh, we were willing to do anything to learn and we were not disappointed. Darren was very, very forthright, gracious, Helpful. and gracious. gave so much help. So, Darren, uh,
2: belatedly, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I don't know how much help I really was, but. Do you, do you have any recollections of that meeting? I, I have many. I have a really good recollection. Um, at least for the first hour and a half, we when we met at the Joe Polish uh, deal. <laughs> then the you bar. were two
0: million margaritas in, and
2: no more memories. Exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> it was a great night. We had a wonderful time. It, yeah. it was, and
2: then and then when you guys did come to Idaho, yeah, I remember that very very well. We had a great time. Um, we we talked, we talked a lot about systems and um, process and employees and all of those wonderful things that you need to do your business. Yeah.
0: So speaking of that, uh, just for a little background, Darren, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, On The Spot and just tell us about that business so that people know kind of the scope and scale of what you guys were
2: doing? Um, Sure. So I started uh, On The Spot in the, I guess you could call it Southern Idaho area um uh, back in 2004 uh my brother and my father had on the spot in eastern Idaho <clears throat> i had been in the uh, retail business for a very very long time and it was time for me to make a change and uh so i went to them one day and said hey how about we open up a new facility shop over in southern Idaho so that's what we did um we started out with basically a carpet cleaning van and uh, me. And in that first year, we grew that business to a, a crazy, crazy amount of money um, with our all the marketing strategies and stuff that Joe Polish had taught us over the years um, or taught my brother over the years. It was only a couple years later before I started attending those. So right. uh, on the spot... Uh, In 2009, 2010, um, my brother and I merged our companies together and uh, became one company. So we covered um, pretty much the whole southeastern, south, southern, or southern and western part of Idaho. Um, We had about a 400 mile radius um, area that we covered, and it was a big, big area. Unlike yeah. unlike yeah. you guys in California that have like a four mile radius and <laughs> <Yeah. still laughs> maybe not four little, miles, but four maybe miles maybe little, little, still takes you as long to get four miles as it does to us to get three hundred miles. So, so Darren, if you don't mind, can you
0: give us a, give all the listeners a sense of revenue and how many employees?
2: Um, at one time, probably two thousand seven. Uh, well, in two thousand and four, when we first started. Um, first year we were in business in the Southern Idaho in my, in my business part of it. Um, we did almost a million dollars in the first year. Um, second year we grew it again to again, almost a million point eight. Um, so we went from being a one man show to, I, I had 20, 20 something employees after the end of set of the second year. Yeah. Um, technicians doing water restoration.
0: You had to learn how to run the show real quick. Yeah, Yeah, I
2: did. And I made a lot of mistakes on the way. Yeah.
0: And then I know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, by the time you guys merged, it was seven to eight million a year and 50 to 75 employees.
2: Yeah. I think at the top end of employees, uh, we had almost 60. I think it was like 59 employees. And yeah, we were doing about seven, between 7 and $8 million a year. Yeah.
0: No, it's, it's you know, and for guys listening who haven't scaled on any level, that
2: comes, the
0: money sounds good, but the there's a lot of problems that go with that. There
2: definitely is a lot of issues, a lot of headaches, a lot of sleepless nights. That's for sure. sure.
0: Well, and that's one of the things, you know, that's kind of what we wanted to talk about tonight. I was thinking about, you know, our conversation tonight and, what you've been through and what Larry and I have been through. And I thought a good topic would be the five limiting factors to scale a blue collar service business. So uh, first and foremost, I thought we'd start out with technicians. I, I have a strong belief that the technicians tend to put a ceiling on what the owners can do because if there isn't enough training and there isn't enough buy-in they're the ones that are kind of creating the problems out in the field because they're on the front line. It's not all their fault, but they, you know, you can only be as good and grow as much as you can manage those technicians so that you're not spending all of your time putting out fires. Sure. Um, Larry and, and Darren, what, what's your thought on that? Do you agree with me that that's a huge limiting factor to
2: growth? I honestly believe that that is one of the main factors to limiting growth. Um, I found out in a very, very fast hurry in my growing of my business, you know, growing from nothing to a million dollars a year in a year was so huge that I didn't know whether I was coming or going. Um, And so I was hiring people left and right, you know, throwing them out on their truck, not giving them a lot of training. Um, and with that became problems and issues. And, you know, nobody, nobody could do the cleaning job or the restoration job like me, you know, because I'd been through all the classes, all the schools, all the training and everything to do a great restoration job yeah. and carpet cleaning it, job
0: and you had you would you have all the buy-in in the world because it's your shop so absolutely absolutely that's an issue too right um and but i it, think that's the rub isn't it darren it's trying to get technicians to kind of take their own sense of ownership to do the kind of
2: job that you would do right correct
0: leadership and, and culture thing
2: correct and i think that the biggest thing is is Um, Where I fell short in my business with my people was, yes, I valued them as people. I knew that I couldn't get the job done without them, all of that stuff. However, it took me a very, very long time to figure out that they had to learn how, or they had to learn the goals and the ambitions of what I wanted to create and And I had to train them and help them realize what that goal and thing was so that, you know, because they would be rewarded as well if they were the ones that were there helping grow something.
0: Right. Well, and you shared the vision and the
2: why. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: You know, and I'd like, Larry, give your perspective because in that whole thing with growth, you know, Larry was always our marketing guy, the relationship guy. You know, and if he doesn't trust the text to do a good job and provide that, he's going to get gun shy. And even if it's subconscious, he's going to start marketing. So, I mean, Larry, I know you've struggled with that. You want to speak to that end of it as well? Or not? (laughs) Anyway.
2: I I can speak to that Uh, because I had sales and marketing people on my staff. You know, and we had many, many conversations about, you know, what's the point of a sales and marketing guy going out and building relationships with insurance adjusters, real estate agents, you know, um, and other avenues of income if we weren't providing a great service, you know, because they could go out and spend all the time in the world and create this great relationship and only took one time for us to screw something up to ruin it.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, we had the same thing. I I don't, I don't know if Larry's back yet or not, but Larry really struggled with, you know, he's spending all this time, energy, and money developing relationships and, you know, who do people do business with? people that they know, like, trust, and, and ultimately become friends with. You know, Larry became friends with some of our largest referral sources. So Larry is so invested in the time and the relationship with these people, he doesn't want to look bad. So if our technicians go out and don't provide the level of service that we want, then Larry looks stupid. So then what happens is Larry gets gun-shy. And all of a sudden you're watching your sales go down because he's not going to visit those 20 people a day that he's always done to grow the business. Now he's kind of like, oh, you know, this person, we had a little incident. I don't want to go there and look like an idiot. But what that does is that kills your revenue. So you have to get your technicians to the point where your marketing team feels comfortable marketing to their referral sources. or You're not going to grow. Did you have that problem Darren with your field reps?
2: Absolutely. I think that you know the the technicians when I invested time and effort and energy into teaching them what our goals and our aspirations were and how to do things the right way um, you could really tell those people that I'd spent that time with um had, had learned to uh, buy in to the whole thing and those that I hadn't spent the time with and that I left up to a project manager to teach or whoever, a project manager, a production manager, a mitigation manager, the carpet cleaning lead manager, um, all of that, all of those people, although they were great and they were part of knowing what our vision and goals were, you know. Um, they could not cast that idea to the other people very well because it wasn't, it wasn't theirs, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and if you, I mean, I think even you kind of hit on, you know, having the managers do it. If the manager has been there long enough and has had enough one-to-one with an owner or, you know, enough training from the owner, I think that they're also capable of, of doing that as well. But, you know, that takes time and that takes the right person too. you, you right. know, um, you know, I think Larry and I had a guy who was quite good at that. Uh, he really got buy-in from the guys and, you know, we saw the difference between him and previous managers and it, the, the difference was huge. And mainly because it's he, he could,
1: difference. just the connection when you have that connection with your team. Oh, and you're, you're back? back. Yes. I'm back. You'll throw my little mute symbol there. See, now-
0: Okay. Well, I want to backtrack then because I want to hear your perspective. The question I was asking you was that, you know, you you would become gun shy to market when we'd have screw ups in the field because you didn't want to look bad to the people that you had spent so much time building relationships with. And that's a huge limiting factor to growth. So Larry, I mean, if you could just walk us through quickly, because we have been talking about it a little bit, but Like how would that make you feel and then what was the behavior that that would create?
1: Well, yeah, just like you said, it would make me gunshot because we'd have jobs and there would be an accident or lack of communication or something silly done to uh, cause a problem with the client or the referral source. And it made me look stupid. I have to go to that, you know, the referral source or client say, hey, listen, my guy did this. He didn't communicate this. Your client's mad now when I'm trying to deal with it and I'm figuring it out. I mean our strength was that we were able to put out fires and be responsible with them. But when the guys were not engaged and they weren't paying attention, they didn't care, it made me look stupid because some mistakes are just blatant and people just know it one way or another way. I mean Darren, you've seen it and you're like, oh my god, this guy just left the lock off the door and there's a homeless guy sleeping in the containment. <laughs> That's a problem, you know. And they're like, "Whoa, hey!" And then one of their client, their client comes, or their tenant comes walking in, and sees a homeless guy. How did this homeless guy get sleeping here? He just took a leak in the middle of the room. That's a problem. You got to get a machine to extract it. And I'm talking about an extreme circumstance, but things like this would happen. Yeah, and it made us look
0: well. And I, and I think the other byproduct of that, Larry, was that you would then really get angry with the technicians, and you would lose trust in them as people and well, that you,
1: was that was what it, i was on before and the, before we you know matured as managers yeah. and owners and leaders more leaders than anything yeah you know you needed to roll with it i didn't roll with it well all the time and it was really frustrating and these personal relate i knew these people we went out places we had beers we'd go on vacation together we'd do things and i didn't want to get that look like i just gave you a job you're working on my facility and your guys just did something really
0: stupid well, and I don't think that's I don't think that's in any way unique to us or Darren's company. I think there's lots of companies that are struggling with the same thing, and that's why it's so important to get trained technicians who are bought into a culture that's purposely created.
1: Yeah, and that was a culture and the training to them continuously to use their head. And we say the soft skills like crazy, but <clears throat> excuse me, those are the things. Own something, be responsible, communicate, don't ignore things, and care. It's not rocket science,
0: or it shouldn't All right, be. right, let, let's move on to the next limiting factor. Uh, Darren had already talked about this a little bit. I talk about this quite a bit lack of systems. You know, Darren, you had mentioned that at the beginning you wouldn't always have systems created for these technicians to do the work and probably the office too. And then, you know, it it would bode poorly for the company as a whole. So what did you do at on the spot to implement systems? How did you go about, you know, because everybody goes, you need systems, you need systems. And there's a lot of blue collar owners that want systems, but they have no idea how to really begin to build them.
2: I really think that the biggest challenge that a business owner has is he, he, he or she does not take the time to build that system correctly um, at the front end. And so like for me, I had zero systems at the front when we were hiring like crazy. We we're so busy. It was all just about, oh, man, I need a drywaller, or I need this or I need a painter. I need a finish guy. Um, so I just was hiring people and it was, you know, not even having a morning meeting or anything like that. It was, Hey, you're going here, you're going there and this is what needs to get done. And so the expectation that I had set was I trusted this person that they knew what they were doing and I never gave them any real training, um, until I figured out what I was doing incorrectly and it was costing me a lot of money. Um, And so then I sat down and building systems is not something that comes overnight. No, it's not at all. Oh my God. Not at all. Right. It it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort.
0: Well, and and I'm sorry to interrupt, but quickly, not only building them, that's, You know, a portion of it. That's the easy part. But but implementing them is where everybody seems to fail, I think. Yeah, and following up on them and making sure they continuously happen the way they're supposed to. I mean, Larry, you know, even after we sold our business, do you remember when you were going through all our stuff and you'd see these just sheets and sheets and reams of systems that I had built? Yeah, that we never even got to you know, implement.
1: There so many of them, I was like, "What is this guy? He must have been doing this all night long, all the
0: time." I, I was. was so and the problem was, I couldn't implement the other. I couldn't get the other ones implemented the way I wanted them to be to even be think to begin to the other ones I'd already built. You know, all did, you, this- did you go through that too?
2: Absolutely, and I I found out over time that you can't implement a system um, all at once, you know, you've got to train on. So, you know, you may have a system, let's say that it's communicating or let, well, let's just say answering the phone. Right. Yeah. No, nobody answers the phone. Like you answer the phone when a customer calls, right. You know, everything to say, you know, all of the different, um, things that your company provides and all the things that you can do. However, if that person sitting at the front counter or front desk in your company doesn't have a system to be able to answer the customer's questions um, or get somebody else on the phone to answer those questions, you're, you, you just lost. And it, you can't train somebody to do that in an hour-long session. I mean, we finally figured out that in every staff meeting we had – everyone learned how to use the phone and we did role-playing and everything in every single staff meeting for months on end for everyone to figure out how to answer the phone properly.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Consistent training is well, a huge. A consistent training, but
0: also, I, I think a lot of our peers, they just want to get out and do the work. They're just like, they just want to get people out the door. They want to make money and they think the way to do that is to, blow training off or blow building systems off or do them half-ass. And what they don't realize is they lose tons of opportunity and money by being so hasty and not wanting to do the hard work of building and implementing those systems like Darren just talked about.
1: And the systems are the huge backbone of the culture because then the guys know what the expectations are. They know how to do things that creates a culture. If there's no systems – the culture is not based on anything, so you really don't have a culture. Everybody's just – everything flies in every direction. Like Darren was saying, he had a team of 50 people just going in every direction. Nobody knew their expectations. Nobody knew the mission, the vision of the company, and it's it's a, it's a clusterfuck is what it is.
0: Yeah. Well, and and I think the businesses in the, in the long run who are able to really grow finally learn to embrace – all that training. You know, they finally, the the ones that grow in the end are the ones that, that finally capitulate and buy into the fact that if I don't have great systems, I'm doomed.
2: Absolutely. And I think that if you don't, if you you wait and wait, you know, you, it doesn't matter if you have a, a one year old business or a 20 year old business. If you do not figure that out, um, you know, you may have a you may have a service or a product or whatever that you're selling that everybody wants, but eventually, you know what? Somebody else is going to provide a better service of the same thing or have a better quality product than what you're selling, and it's going to hurt so immensely that you will not be able to recover.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we had mentioned Joe Polish with Piranha Marketing at the at the beginning of the podcast, and you know, Joe's thing is marketing. His thing isn't operations he doesn't you know that's not his thing so you know we went and and took all the lessons and met with you and implemented all the stuff i mean larry and i were always very good at you know making it happen as far as we learned something new and we'd implement it but you know we just like you started growing like crazy and we didn't have any systems because we didn't even really know what to do you know so then we left piranha not because we didn't like piranha but we needed somebody to, to rain, help us reign in the chaos. And then, you know, we went to Howard Partridge and, you know, Howard's big thing is systems for our industry. And that saved us. I mean, we could make all the money that we wanted, but if you didn't have good systems, all that money was coming in the front door and just blowing out the back because you were just constantly having problems. Right. And, you know, what's the point of making money if you don't get to keep any of it? Right. So... Anyway, I think systems are are also a big thing, um, Darren. We're going to step into your territory in the next one. I think one of the next limiting factors is just a lack of capital or a lack of being able to manage your cash flow. And Darren, just for for everybody listening, Darren to me is like the master of small business uh, blue collar finance. <laughs> so, so Darren, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? You know, just especially when you're growing like that, you're, you're, you're outgoing, you know, and your, receive, your receivables end up, especially in the restoration industry, end up being so high and you're just constantly juggling that. What did you do to get trained, to get, to make it better so that you could actually have the capital in place to grow?
2: Um, you know, the restoration industry is, it's a difficult Difficult industry as far as cash flow goes, you know you're you're working with insurance companies, adjusters, agents, whatever. You're you're dealing with people at their at their darkest moments on floods, fires, whatever. And um, it took me a while to figure out what things were really, really costing me. You know, I I had a I had a conversation with a gentleman the other day that we're actually very good friends. He was um, my very, very first employee and uh, he was a great guy, hard worker. Um, he came to me three or four years ago and said, Hey, I want to start my own cleaning business. And this was, you know, six or seven years after he had left my employment. And uh, anyway, so I helped him along and, here a few weeks ago, or I guess it was just two weeks ago, he was here and we went to dinner and had a conversation about, you know, yeah, things are, we're we're making money. You know, he's telling me about, you know, how they're growing and everything else. We're doubling in sales every year, which is all great and fine and everything else. However, first question I asked him was, is, do you know what it really costs? To start that carpet cleaning van every day. And he's like, well, no. Really, the only the only thing I really know is is we're making money and we're growing. And I'm but, like, well, but, that-
0: but are they making money?
2: Right. And so I mean on the PL, yeah, it looks like he's making money, and that's great. However, for you to be a business owner that knows where you're at and knows your numbers, the very first thing you need to know is what every single thing costs you. And you have to be able to quantify that into, you know, whether you're a carpet cleaning company, whether you're a plumber, whether you're an electrician, whether you're a restoration company, it doesn't really matter. You know, whatever service business you're in, the point of the matter remains, what does it cost to, Do business, and how much money per hour does each one of those employees that you have have to bring in for you to a break break even, and b to make you a profit? Right,
0: and you know, just as an example of that, let's say you own a carpet cleaning business, and you, Darren, you and I have had this conversation in the past. It's like you buy a backpack vacuum cleaner for six hundred dollars. Well, how many? how long is that going to last? Right. And we know that these vacuum cleaners don't last much more than a year. So really what you then have to do is take the cost of that $600 vacuum cleaner and divide it into how many jobs you, you average in that 12 month span at, you know, and then break that down to, I don't know, it's $4 for, you know, of an expense for a vacuum cleaner on every carpet job. And you need to put that into your job costing.
2: Absolutely. You don't
0: have a real good idea of what you're spending. And then you have to do that with your truck payment, your, your truck maintenance and how much that's going to be, you know, and every single little thing has to get broken down. And when guys actually start doing that, they go, holy shit, I'm not making any money.
2: Right. And they don't, the thing that they don't really realize is especially those guys who have employees, and I'm not saying every business owner, but the majority of business owners they have got zero clue what their direct labor costs are, including labor burden taxes, all that other stuff. They have no idea how much they are losing when they send their technicians in the morning to Home Depot to get supplies or whatever for the day. Um, you yes. know, and if you don't know that and figure that out, you know. And then figure out what the solution to that is because I'm telling you right now, the worst thing that a business owner can do is send your guys to the lumber yard or hardware store to get supplies that they need because that is one of the largest, other than labor, one of the largest expenses that you have no idea what's going on.
0: Oh, yeah. To give you an example of that, you know, we – we had found out that basically all of our restoration guys would leave the shop and go get gas, you know, after our morning meeting. And, you know, we had quite a few guys at that point point. and, you know, one of our carpet cleaners said, Hey man, just so you know, those guys all stand around and smoke cigarettes and hang out for like a long time. So I secretly put GPS units on all the trucks <laughs> and I started doing the math and I mean, we were losing like $30,000 a year in them smoking. It might have been more. I don't really remember. And then, you know, I, I basically brought it up to them that, you know, I'm tracking every vehicle and I know how long you guys are standing there. And then we would give them a time limit where after 10 minutes of gassing up, my phone would get pinged if a truck was still at that geofence, the gas station. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I know it sounds extreme, but that, you know, when you're dealing in a service business where margin is everything, those things go make a big difference. And right. And, the, and, you know, I don't think they ever loved that, but I would sit there and do all the math out on a whiteboard in a morning meeting to try to get them to understand what it meant to us and how, if we were going to have a real business, And people are going to get promotions and, you know, whatever else. We had to manage that kind of time. Because, you know, 12 guys standing around for 30 minutes smoking is extremely expensive by the time you put that over 12 months. Try 50 employees. Exactly. Larry, do you have anything to add to that whole scenario?
1: Yeah. Well, what I think, hang on. You there? Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, we hear you fine.
1: Yeah, we hear you right. fine. Okay, I just step away from my microphone for a moment. But yeah, it's tough with these guys. It's just consistent training. And just to reinforce that, that's what needs to be done. And that's what we're trying to bring to everybody. And many blue-collar businesses know about it, but many of them don't have the capacity to do it. So hopefully, not hopefully, we definitely can help them.
0: Well, and the, and the answer is not sticking your head in the sand and pretending that it doesn't exist, because I think that happens a lot.
1: Yes, I agree
0: 100%. Okay, well, on to the next one. And this is kind of Larry's place, but Darren as well. I think a lack of marketing prowess by owner op- owners who are probably owner-operators to start with is also a huge limiting factor to their growth. You know, many blue-collar service business owners started out as technicians. They think like technicians. Marketing is not their favorite thing to do not on top of mind, on top of mind for them is how to do a job, how to, you know, be better at it, all the technical stuff. I think a lot of guys don't grow solely because they either don't want to take time to market or they're unwilling to hire somebody who would be good at marketing. And Darren, did you, I mean, I know you and Derek never had that problem. You were a lot like Larry and I, where we like to market. We wanted to just learn how to do it and go do it, but I know you've also consulted with a lot of other owners. Do you see that as a problem in our trades industries?
2: Yeah, I think that the biggest the biggest thing that most business owners in our in this in this particular industry and probably in most um, the biggest thing challenge that they have is being the marketing representative for a company is one of the hardest positions to fill and to track. And so, you know, if, you're, if, you have, if you've hired somebody to be your marketing guy or person, um, you've got to come up with a way that you can track their efforts and what's going on. Nobody in my business could market as well as I could, you know. Um, as the business owner, that was, that was what I did. That's how I grew my business at the front end. And then I decided that, you know what, I don't have time to market. And I hired a marketing guy and within six months you could tell the difference. And so I would pick it up again and I'd go out and do marketing. So if, if your marketing guy was a technician for you and, you know what? He's been with me for a while, and I need to give him some kind of, you know, new job or whatever because you know I have to promote him or whatever. Um, the biggest problem with that is, is he's a technician. Exactly. He's not a marketer. No. It's like and making the uh, the teacher
1: the principal.
0: Yeah, if, it's, yeah. I well, mean, and ju- it's a, the same goes for management. Just because you're a good tech doesn't mean you're going to be a good project manager. It's it's the same exact thing.
2: It's exactly the same thing, you know. And some people are great at being a technician, and they love being a technician. However, they would like to maybe have a promotion or whatever, and you throw them in a management position or a marketing position without doing any kind of training, setting any kind of expectations or anything like that. And they fail miserably.
0: Well, and I think that's where using something like a disc personality profiling system, like, I mean, I know you used it, we used it, you know, if you already know the tech's strengths and weaknesses, likes and dislikes, it it alleviates both them and you putting them in the wrong position, you know, they they're they become self-aware through the disc training that they're not wired like a marketer and then you also know that they're not wired like a marketer but you know it took us years to figure that we even knew disc and we're still making the mistake <laughs> so.
2: right I, and i i guess the other the other thing that happens to um businesses or service companies is they have a marketer who is great and he's bringing in all kinds of business and whatever. And then they get so busy that sometimes they make the marketer get out there and help the technicians do work to get caught up because they don't have enough help or however. And I learned the hard way. That's the kiss of death. it, It is the kiss of death. You've got to, your marketing guy has got to continue to market every single day and be out there amongst the people building relationships and everything else. And when you pull him off of doing that and he starts doing technician work, what's going to happen as soon as you get caught up is you're not going to have any work. Oh, yeah. We've
0: been through that ebb and flow a million times. You know. And the other thing is, it's like it's so easy to get overwhelmed and turn off the faucet of marketing because you're like, I can't keep up. We're going to implode. But that's when you need to double down and market more. And Absolutely. Because you're, you know, just because you're busy today doesn't mean you're going to be, be busy in a month. Right. And, and I think and the other the- thing, Darren, is a mental thing. I've actually had this happen to me. I, I, I had an owner who would actually get upset with me for selling well <laughs> you know, because I'd bring in, quote, unquote, too much work. And I'd be like, dude, don't ever fucking send me out on a call that you don't think I'm going to sell. Because if you get out of the habit of doing it, you won't be good at it. Right. Like you have to be, you know, whether you're a marketer or a salesman, I mean, you have to be in that success mindset all the time. So you can't tell the marketer, well, slow down because we're really busy right
2: now. <laughs> right. Right. Well, so for all all the business owners out there listening to this, let me ask you this question. Would you rather have the stress of being too busy or the stress of not being able to make payroll?
1: Yeah, well, you know, everybody wears that hat differently because I've seen – well, we felt it. We get so busy. That keeps you up at night as much as not having any work. I mean, of course, you want more business, but it creates a
2: similar – Aggressive stress. You're right. It does. It it but that that stress of being overwhelmed with too much work is a lot more positive type of stress than the stress of not having enough work and not being able to meet payroll at the end of the week. You know. When you when you have fifty employees, the payroll at the end of each week is, you know, or at the end of two weeks is sixty to seventy thousand dollars. Yep. Um yep. Trust me, too much work is what you're praying for.
0: Yeah, but you know, Darren, like I see that between Larry and I over the years, you know, I I see where Larry's coming from, not because I necessarily agree, but I've seen him go through it where I'm more of being an ops guy. I was more of the mindset that you are that I'd rather just make payroll all the time and have the place be a little bit of a shit show or sometimes a lot of bit of a shit show. But Larry being the marketing guy, I don't think he felt that way. I think the stress of, you know, getting too busy and maybe having mistakes really in some ways affected him more negatively than the payroll issue.
2: Sure. I, I, I agree with that. I totally agree with that.
0: Uh, Larry, your thoughts?
1: yeah you know what it was it was because i'm a relationship guy we're out there doing all this work and i know it's not going that great i think we're making way too many mistakes in my mind i'm having to answer those mistakes to my associates so being the marketer that's what made me crazy because i'm like oh my gosh if we keep screwing this up we're not going to get any more work so that affected but you know it was also – I mean, I remember those times. We just didn't sleep for like a week. It was just insane. I wanted that phone not to ring because I was going
0: to lose my mind more well, than well. But again, that goes back to what we were talking about in the earlier part of the podcast about the techs and the systems. We weren't at a point in those days where we had the techs trained how we wanted them the systems where, where we really needed them like in the later years. So it was always you and I going out in the middle of the night and you just want to cry and roll up in a fetal position because you hadn't slept in a week.
2: Yeah. you yeah. know. Well, I, I think that the biggest thing too is, is the, the, the point of this whole thing is, is you guys did the same thing that I did, that I grew so fast that the growing pains were, unbearable yeah it takes and it literally takes years to get past that it really does and so the biggest thing that i can say to a business owner yes growth is great but i don't believe that you want to grow so fast that you ruin your business or um, your employees your great employees because of it and so you know i think that having a 20 to 30% growth every year is fabulous, but having a hundred percent to 120% growth is so mind boggling that most people can't handle it.
0: No, I couldn't agree more. You know, in retrospect, if we had grown at a a 20% per year rate, it would have been so much more comfortable. But you know, the other thing is, especially in restoration And I think this happens in a lot of businesses. You, you find that one or two good referral partners. It's just going to blow up and you can't say no, you know, you have to keep going. And that's when it gets really complicated.
2: Sure. Um, Yep. You, you've got, you know, you get one insurance adjuster, or one insurance agent, my more likely an agent because adjusters really don't send a lot of work out anymore. Yeah. But yeah. you, you find one agent that's got, you know, 20,000 different policies out there. And I mean, they're having a loss all the time. And the, if you have created that relationship with them, they're the ones you're going to that they're going to call. Yeah. Um, and, and that's great. But the that also comes to the point of you never, ever, ever want to be to the point where you have one customer being your bread and butter, you know, no, we, gotta, we, Larry and you know, I have
0: lived that, you know, I mean, we, yeah. we had a customer that accounted for a huge percentage of our growth and the customer was, or the referral source was erratic in their own right. So there were issues with that person's company and, you know Larry and I are having to scale up quickly to keep up with demand. So next thing you know you know you're buying five vans in a year, you got all these payments now that you didn't have before, but you know you're getting flood after flood after flood and you you have to have the equipment and the trucks and all the guys you know like it really puts you in a bad spot and absolutely. and then all of a sudden that person's gone.
2: Right. And they quit or, or they just quit sending you work. Yeah. You know, um, we had, we had the same thing. We had one insurance company that we did uh, for about three or four years at the beginning that we did 85% of their claims in the area, you know? And I mean, it was overwhelming. There was probably 40 different agents for this company. So we did all of it. And then, all of a sudden you could see, oh, we weren't getting any work from this agent, you know, and we were relying on that for our growth numbers and everything else. And so sure. I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that you want to spread your eggs out, not just have them all in one basket, because if you have more than 25 percent of your business in um, one basket, you will lose. Well, that's a, That's a marketing flaw
0: you know, we're talking about marketing. It's like, if you get that 30 or 40% or whatever from that one guy, you know, you kind of start marketing because you're like, well, i got it. So I'm going to scale everything back. And then as soon as that person falters, you are screwed. Right.
2: Exactly. And it hurts bad. We know. (laughs) (laughs) I know, you know. Yeah. You know,
0: so it's like, it's better to to I, I agree. It's better to have your marketing plan, you know, kind of match that twenty percent growth per year, opposed to you know. And Larry and I were guilty of this. You know, we get that great referral partner and be like, "Oh, it's just going to be that way forever." <laughs> We've made it. We're we're we're
2: on you know easy street now but the pro- but the thing is you just said the operative word right there a couple couple seconds ago you said your marketing plan should be this most business owners in service companies do not have a marketing plan yeah
0: yeah well we didn't always have a marketing plan either <laughs>
2: <laughs> right well uh, yeah i mean we all we've all done it right yeah. but if you don't have a plan to follow.
0: Well, I think, you know, I mean, if you're really going to do it right, you have a marketing plan, you have, a, you know, you have goals that go with that plan. Then you have a marketing calendar and you have a marketing budget. Those three things are the things that, you know, you have to live by.
2: Right. If you I don't have, have a marketing plan or a budget, you are definitely going to feel the effects of, ups and downs and webs and flows.
0: Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that think about this. How many, I mean, when you look at the scope of all across the world, blue collar service businesses, just as a guess, what percentage do you think actually have a marketing plan, a marketing calendar and a marketing budget and somebody devoted to marketing full time?
2: What percentage would I guess? Yeah. It wouldn't be over 15%. No,
0: I was going way lower than that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I that that's saying you know, yeah, fifteen percent is probably way high, but I would say that it's not over that.
0: Larry, you've been going door to door, you know, marketing to trades guys for years. What what percentage of the guys that you have dealt with over the years think have that?
1: Well, they don't always say what they do and they don't have. They just don't. They don't deal with it. They don't say, oh yeah, yeah. And they, there's no engagement because. Everybody knows they should have one, but it takes time to do it and to get to it. And many guys are not into doing that work. And that's what's important. You've got to put the
0: time into getting organized. But do you think of all the guys that you go see, you think a lot of guys have that or not so much?
2: No, no, no. It's it's um, no, not at all. Few and far between is what I would say.
0: I agree. So, guys – marketing plan marketing strategy marketing calendar budget and somebody to do it that that's what it takes to grow all right and the right person to do it and the right well yeah I mean okay well let's get into that real quick before we head into our last thing I mean Larry how many people did we go through
1: So many people it was terrible
0: yeah and then look and this is something that I, I want to bring up too it's like well who's leading? Those people, because if you have your best marketer, you know ours was Larry. Larry was our best marketer by far, right? But but is Larry was Larry really the best person to lead the other marketers just because he's good at it?
1: No, that was obvious.
0: Yeah. So Larry, I mean, Let's and then manage- that put pressure, that put pressure on you, which actually hurt your own marketing efforts. Yeah, because I'd have to manage these guys. Yeah, and you don't like that. You know, Larry left to his own devices to be free is going to bring in a ton of business. Larry left with three or four people to manage is all of a sudden going to be stressed out, not enjoying it because of his personality profile. And, you know, those people have kind of the same personality profile that Larry has probably. And then it turns into, you know, it's difficult and, and right. your, your your numbers go down. So, yeah, I think yeah, I've known Larry,
2: I've known Larry for a long time and I would say that you are spot on as far as that goes. I think he's a great marketer, but I I think Larry that you know, deep down you're not one that wants to manage people. No. And
0: it was not no, my Larry, Larry, Larry would have, and Larry was always doing that for me. You know, he'd be like, "Well, Eric's running all these techs I'm not going to burden him with running other guys. So I'm going to step up and do it right out of a sense of duty as a business partner. And in retrospect, we should have probably revisited that, you you know? Um, But, you know, Larry would, (laughs) Larry would outmarket all the rest of them by so much. It, you know, we weren't, if we could have replicated Larry four or five times, I mean, I can't even imagine what that would
2: look like. The reason that Larry out-marketed them all, number one, is he had skin in the game. Yeah,
1: that's huge.
2: Right? But number two, he knew what the vision and the goals and the mission of the company was because, A, he helped create it, and, B, you know... If you're not teaching those guys, if you hire a marketer and say, hey, we do restoration work, you need to go out and see insurance companies and plumbers and um, uh, HOAs and, you know, property management companies or whatever and go out and create these relationships and just turn them loose without any kind of training knowledge or anything of what goes on in your company, Um you're shoot, shooting them in the foot right off the bat. And, you know,
0: and, you know I, think also I think also that they that needed to be needed in the field for a certain amount of time to actually learn the job. Um, you know, Larry could market well because he and I were on the truck. So he knew his stuff. And then we'd hire, you know, these people to market. Well, they didn't even really know what to say to other people about what we did because, you know, they only got it in morning meetings. They didn't actually go out and crawl under a house or, you know, I mean, once one of the things that makes a good marketer is to really have a deep understanding of what it is that they're selling. Sure. And that's that, you know, that's part of the training is, okay, you're getting hired to market, but you're going to spend a month in the field. I think that's invaluable and we used to do it. Like we'd send, Oh, we're going to send this person on a job. One job doesn't do it. No. You yeah. know, a month's worth of jobs. You probably get the gist of it.
2: Right. And if, and if that, if those people don't know what the plan is and what the expectation is, whether, you know, you have in your plan that every day they come and report to you, what they did, what went on, who they talked to, all of that stuff. Um, you know, eventually, because nobody is managing those people, you know, they get the idea. Well, it's okay for me to go sit in a coffee shop for five, six hours a day, yeah, or yeah. or sit in the Walmart parking lot and take a nap for three hours a day, yeah, or yeah. you know, because um, it's a lot easier to do that than it is to go out and see somebody else, somebody new, and and go and get your ass kicked all day,
0: right. I mean, let's get real. Marketing is not an easy job.
2: No, it's the hardest job out there as far as service business goes. It's just all there is to it.
0: Yeah. Okay. The last thing, the last limiting factor, we'll move on from marketing. And I think this is a huge one that, that people don't talk about enough. Usually the limiting factor, and I think the biggest limiting factor is the owner will not get out of the way. You know, the the small business owner who, you know, in a closely held company has a really difficult time getting to the point where his team or her team gets to implement those systems and, and do it on their own without the owner. And I think even owners go so far as when that's starting to happen, which is that should be the goal, they start sabotaging it with getting with, with meddling because by the point, by the time you're that size, the people, the individual people that you have doing each job are probably a lot better at it than you ever were because you were a generalist. You were doing a little bit of everything. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have somebody like in our company, it was Leslie doing collections. Leslie's going to out collect Larry or I all day long. Sure. So us trying to manage somebody like Leslie doing that job just doesn't make any sense. And yet I feel that you see that in a lot of owners because they start feeling useless and they don't have to be, they could be working on their vision for the next phase or the next growth and let the people go do their thing. But you know what? There's something about this us as people that we don't like to do that (laughs) I mean, does anybody else feel that way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as an owner, that's where the, the training is and staying on top of your game and growing. And as you're hiring people, you have to find, you have to know before you hire that person what your capacity is going to be beyond that. Because when I wasn't marketing, I was managing these people and I wasn't ready for that. So in hindsight, I need to just focus on on managing and leading them as opposed to trying to get out and market at the same time and lead them, which wasn't effective at all.
0: See, and I, I view that, Larry, totally different. I think your focus should have been on marketing and we should have found somebody who could have led them.
1: Yeah, but I'm saying in general, as if an owner is going to get somebody to, to fill certain shoes, they need to get away from those shoes and move on if that's the plan that they're going to do.
0: Right. Because what happens inevitably is the owner starts – being less needed in each little niche part of their business. And then they start going in and, and for lack of a better term, fucking everything up because they they, they kind of do the hit and run. And I look, I'm super guilty of this, where they go in, say, oh, no, 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 it needs to be done this way, da, 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 da. And then they split and leave. And the guys have been doing it the other way successfully for a long time. And now all of a sudden they're
2: getting chastised for it. So what you're saying, Eric, is you were really good at being a seagull manager.
0: (laughs) Sometimes. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
2: Yeah. You know, for you that don't know what seagull management is, is the boss comes in, flies in like a seagull, shits all over everything and then flies away and then leaves the mess there for somebody else to clean up. Yeah.
0: Larry and I were both guilty of that. And Mm -hmm. I think in the later years we, we, the last, you know, in the last few years before we sold, I let that go, but that took a long time. Yeah, that and that's the thing
1: that you're prepared for. It's one of those things you don't, we don't know as owners. That's what we shouldn't do. You just almost do it by default, and it's
0: well. It's- I don't even know if it's default. You you have this, you know, you know when it's when it's like let's say when it's the Darren show and everybody comes to Darren for every single thing. There's an ego trip involved in that. And when you get to the point where you, you're not needed in that capacity anymore, I think a lot of owners start sabotaging subconsciously because they just don't know what to do with themselves. They should be playing golf, but they're not.
2: Right. I think that the other challenge that they have, especially in a small business, you know, one, one-man show up to a 15 man show um, is the fact that when a business owner starts their business it's their baby right I mean your business your business was your baby you lived it you breathed it everything you did was about it and the biggest challenge a business owner has is learning how to trust others to that could do the job better than you as an owner, but learning how to trust that somebody else can take care of it. And you don't have to be the be all person that you think you need to be. Yeah.
0: But don't you also think Darren, that that's that's ego driven to some degree, you know, it's look, if you, if you have the balls to start a business on your own, You have some ego and then you you love the fact that everybody needs you. And then when they don't need you, (laughs) you don't know what to do anymore.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. I think ego has a lot to do with it. Um, And that, you know, I think had a lot to do with um, our business and my partner, you know, so, yeah. He, he had a very bad case of seagull management. Right. You know?
0: Yeah. It's, it's hard to overcome, you, you know? Um, I think also that the remedy for that is kind of having an exit plan. And I don't mean exit the business. I mean, exit the things, having a plan for exiting the things that you don't need to do anymore, you know? Like, right. Okay. I'm not going to just disappear and play golf because I'm not into that. I want to be part of this business, but now I'm going to focus my energy on the next phase or the next things. And I'm going to let these people have this. They don't need me. My real job is to be the visionary and I need to figure out where we're going to go next. And look, that's hard and it takes time. And it's so much easier, I think, in some ways to just go be the seagull manager than it is to face the fact that you really should be, Thinking about what what you are going to do to grow, because right. that's hard work.
2: Well, and and ultimately, it a lot of times means that you go out into the public eye and be, you know, I am going to I am doing what it takes to, to grow my business, whether it's be part of the community in it in a, in the chamber of commerce or whatever. And Eric or Larry was great at doing all of that stuff. But a lot of business owners, you know, don't look at community involvement as being part of the growth and how they're going to sustain, sustain growth and sustain their business over the years. That was a huge
1: part of everything that we did that was good. And we learned a lot of that with you and with Joe in his marketing.
0: Yeah. Well, and Larry, I also think you're not giving yourself enough credit. That's who you are as a person. And, you know, it, I had my strengths, you had your strengths. You know, we both have weaknesses, of course, but the one thing we never, you know, coming from your angle, look, there were two of us, and we've talked about this at length. You know, so for me to run all, you know, build systems and do all the stuff that freed you to do this other stuff. Whereas a lot of guys, it's they're, you know, they're the only owner. So they right. have to pick and choose what they're going to do very carefully.
2: Right. And they they have to, they le- have to learn how to prioritize, which is a big issue. You know, what is the most important thing I need to do today? And then be disciplined enough to do it and not get distracted and go, Oh, my carpet cleaning van broke down and there's nobody else that can fix it or handle it or do, you know, which we all know that there is somebody else that can do it. Yeah but it makes us feel good because of our ego or whatever of I'm the, I'm the guy that can fix anything.
0: Well, you know, I, I, I've talked a lot with the two of you about my previous boss before I started Shamrock. And he was a great example of somebody who he just had this innate self awareness. You know, he built a $20 million a year company or more in some years and you know, his gift was that he found a bunch of young guys who were willing to, you know, do anything for him. He paid us well, but he would literally just let us do our job. And he was self-aware enough to know that his job was to think. And I used to ask him, you know, Floyd, what are you going to do today? I'm going to drive around and I'm going to think about what we're going to do next. I'm going to let leave the rest to you guys. You're better at that than me. I'm just going to come up with the idea of where are we going next? And, you know, in that type of business, he had a skill and a talent that the rest of us didn't have. And that was, he could see what nobody else could see. And, right. you know, I always have respect for, I don't want, I would never want to be this guy, but you see these businesses with these really self-aware owners, like let's say it's a, an HVAC company where they grow and they grow and the the owner's super technical guy. And then he finds somebody who is better at running his business than he is. And he stays in the field doing like the prime work, running the big jobs and actually lets an employee basically run the business. And, you know, I have crazy respect for that person because that shows you that they're really thinking this through.
2: Right. Well, you think if you remember, right, when we when you guys attended that very first uh, Joe Polish seminar or conference, um, that's one of the main things that Joe and all of the other presenters in that conference talked about is is being aware as the business owner and thinking and, you know, what's the next step? What's the next thing we're going to do? And if you look at where all of those presenters are today every single one of them have huge multi-million dollar companies. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I think we've, I think we've done it. We're, we're in an hour and five minutes. I thought we were going to do 15. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, I, I hope that this provides value for people. I mean, collectively between the three of us, there's a lot of years in the trenches here and, um, and I think these things are important things to think about, especially for newer guys who haven't gone through what we've been through yet. And, and look, there's some guys, too, that have been doing it 20 years and they're just not where they want to be. And, and they're going to have to change. So, um, Darren, I know we're going to do another podcast with you It'll, where we're just going to talk about numbers. And Darren is the master of job costing and knowing your numbers. And, and that's a huge, huge deal for blue collar service businesses because so many guys, they kind of look up in the sky at the end of the week or the month and go, Are we making any money? <laughs> you know? So um, we're, we're going to be doing a full podcast about numbers and uh, we can't wait to have you back.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I've really enjoyed um, being on tonight, and it's been a great time. So,
0: Darren, uh, if somebody wants to find you because you do consulting as well, where, where can where can people find uh, Mr. Darren Priest?
2: Um, actually, we are just in the process of building and creating a new website, so there's not we don't have a website up yet. Um, but our consulting business is called RAD Consulting Services. Um, and you can email me at darren at right now. And we hope within the next week to two weeks, we will have our website up and rolling and we want to help a lot of people. Yeah. So
0: and Darren and I have talked a lot, you know, we're, we're kind of like the one, two punch in a way where Larry and I, you know, we really focus on training technicians and all that. And Darren really focuses on, understanding the nuts and bolts of running your business so it's a it's a nice uh synthesis i think yeah larry where can we
1: find you (laughs) i am making it happen at this end now you guys are doing such a good job i'm enjoying listening to you talking about our past and our history and our know-how
2: yeah
0: that's good
1: um it's well we have
0: a couple things coming up we have um we have a booth at the Experience in Las Vegas, September 18th through 20th. That's a carpet and restoration uh, trade show. Uh, we're in booth 422, and we're going to be running some specials on morningtechmeeting.com. Larry, can you end it with telling everybody what morningtechmeeting.com is all about, please?
1: Morning Tech Meeting is a charm school for your blue collar service technicians, and we train them the soft skills. In dealing with your clients, your referral sources, and everybody that they run into with your company. They they get taught by you, the tech whisperer, every day in a morning meeting that gets emailed to them for between 10 and 15 minutes. And it teaches them these skills to accelerate the growth of your business, to represent your business well. These are the skills that the owner rarely gets a chance to teach. They're text. The techs. Text, you just expect techs are going to have these skills, and they don't. We've learned that, and we've learned that this system that we have, Morning Tech Meeting, is very effective in bringing techs up to speed and creating a great, a great culture in your blue-collar service business.
0: So, Darren, let me ask you, if uh, you were just starting your business and you could get me teaching the text via video for 20 bucks a month, five days a week with a quiz on Friday, would you have invested in that?
2: I would tell you um, that it would be worth every penny. It would be more, it would be worth more than that.
0: Yeah. To be honest, I think it's super underpriced, but we want to make sure anybody can get it.
2: Sure. absolutely
0: so all right gentlemen well thank you we've had a great podcast and uh we'll be having darren on uh again a week later to do part two of darren priest's uh know your business number so darren thanks a lot and you guys have a great night all right thank, have you. A great thank night, you folks all right bye-bye